Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. After watching uh, Catherine raise our children, I feel like there probably should be two Mother's Day instead of a Mother's and a Father's Day. Um, I feel like moms deserve two of them. But uh, I will say, I... uh, I am very thankful for my dad, and I'm thankful for him. And uh, so, for his sake, I think there should be a Father's Day. And uh, very thankful for his dad, and, and thankful for the men in my life who have helped raise me. And so, I'd encourage you, if uh, if today is a difficult day for you uh, because you maybe didn't have the best father, I'd encourage you to think of the men in your life who have been father figures for you, and uh, make sure you reach out to them and thank them for for helping and. Uh, Helping you become who you are. I actually have a picture here of me and my dad, and it'll connect with uh, my story. Uh, when I was 14 years old, I bought that 1964 and a half Mustang from my neighbor. I walked down the street, two houses down, with $2,500 in 20s from mowing yards. I had asked my neighbor if he'd sell it, and he said, "Sure, I'll sell it for $2,500." It didn't really run, and uh, and so anyway, I remember walking down the street, buying it. Uh, with, like, like I said, a lot of cash because it was just from mowing yards and weed eating and edging. And uh, learned a lot of lessons from that experience. The car really never turned into what I hoped it would be. I thought it would be my cool car that I fixed up and got to drive around high school and stuff. But what I do remember, I, like I said, I learned a lot of lessons. And also, I always wanted to work on the car. So I can't tell you how many times I would just raise up one of the legs and take off the tire and put it back on just so I could feel like I did something on the car. Um, but, uh, but what I remember is that I learned about myself that I am not that interested in cars as I thought I was. But what I do love, and I still love to this day, is I love projects starting from here and after a lot of time developing into something special. And you see TV shows where people take old cars that are run down, and by the end, in 30 minutes, uh, you're like, whoa, that, look at that transformation. There, you know, uh, there's a couple in Waco, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, named Chip and Joanna Gaines. They're kind of, you know, under the radar. But uh, they've made lots of money from taking houses that aren't as nice and turning them into dream houses, and we get to see that over 30 minutes. But anytime I've met someone with a restored car that they restored themselves, anytime I've met someone who, uh, I have spent, honestly, hours on YouTube watching people build log cabins, like with their bare hands and like, like no electricity, because I'm fascinated by the idea of taking something from here and it building over time and that commitment. You, if you meet someone who has restored a car, you immediately know something about them, about their commitment, about their... Uh, if you can work on cars, I honestly think you might know magic or sorcery or something because uh, they're not easy. But seriously, just the ability to take something and develop it over time. And what I want to talk about today from our passage is I believe that we all can think of things in our life where we've seen the development over time and we've seen the journey that we've gone on and there's nothing that's a better example of that than what it looks like to grow in your faith and the journey of starting at one point with God and over a lifetime going through that journey and so if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1 and we're going to be in verse 24 Uh, if you want to read in your Bibles or you can read following along on the screen Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. This is Paul talking to the church in Colossae. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I'm going to pause there. 
If you're wondering, what is this about? Lots of people are wondering that. And if you'd like to know, come to Wednesday night class and we'll talk about it. But one thing I can tell you that it's not saying is that it sounds like Paul is saying, I am suffering and I am filling up in my flesh through bruising and, and beatings. I'm filling up in my flesh what was lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. And it might sound like he's saying, like Christ's afflictions of dying on the cross didn't quite do enough and I'm, I'm filling up the rest of it. I'm making, finishing the job. That could not be further from the truth. So I just want to make sure before you read this and you're like, wait, what is Paul saying? I want you to know there's no way he's saying that. If you want to know what he is saying, come to Wednesday night class. But we're not going to focus on this today. I just didn't want anyone to leave being confused by that verse. So let's keep reading. Paul says, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm going to pause there and just mostly talk about this mystery. We don't really know exactly what Paul's talking about, because throughout the Old Testament, we know it's clear uh, from different things from the prophets, from the blessing of Abraham, that God has a plan to bless the whole world. But the thing that Paul is in awe about is the fact that God has this mysterious plan that through Christ, these people who were once alienated from God not only get to be saved, but also get to be a part of the body. Does that make sense? I think that's what the mystery is. When Paul says, I am just in awe of the fact that God has given me this commission to preach to these people that I think he did believe someday God was going to come and save them. I think the Jews believed that. But I don't think they in any way believed that it would come through what Jesus came and looked like, through dying on the cross. I don't believe they thought it looked like that the Jews and Gentiles, people who hated each other, would one day constitute one body and one group of people. And for Paul, he is just in awe of this, of the fact that Jesus Christ himself, the hope of glory, the hope of getting to have a presence with God, lives within us. And so that is the thing that Paul is just, he's so amazed at it, this mystery that God has revealed to him. Um, so then let's, let's finish reading this section. Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And so we've seen from the beginning of this letter, Paul, here's the trajectory of the letter. Paul writes to this church and he says, my, I'm coming and I'm thankful for y'all. And my prayer for y'all is that you would grow in wisdom and knowledge. And then the next thing he says is, is that by growing in wisdom and knowledge, I hope that, and remember we've talked about this, wisdom is about knowing and prioritizing God. That in the process of knowing God, you have to know who this Jesus Christ is. And he talks about Christ being the firstborn above all creation. The, for Christ being the firstborn from among the dead. And that this new reality that we get to be a part of. And Paul prays there at the end. He says, I pray that with all of this, you would grow in maturity. That you would grow to know Christ more and more. And so the thing, the point of this letter that Paul has been praying is that the Colossians might grow in wisdom and knowing God more. We've said that Wisdom is not about your mental capacity, but it is about your prioritizing God. If you are a wise person, then you fear God and make God first in your life. If you're a foolish person, then you don't, no matter how smart you are. 
And so one, I want to kind of give this analogy. I hope it works. I want you to imagine if I said to Jason, hey, Jason, my prayer for you is that you would become stronger. Okay? That's a good thing to pray for, right? I want you to imagine that he immediately went and he bought some dumbbells and some barbe a barbell and some weights. And he started doing pull-ups and push-ups and sit-ups. That is one version of what we consider strength, right? But we often know that strength is about much more than about how much your body can do. I know many strong people who don't have bodies that are able to lift weights and things like that. Does that make sense? And so if we think that whenever Paul says, my prayer is that you grow in wisdom, if we think that's all about being smarter mentally and not about prioritizing God, then we're prone to sometimes going and doing things like, I don't know, memorizing things or or learning advanced things that we need to learn. But if we know that true wisdom is about prioritizing God, then our actions will look a little different. It'll look more about practicing the life that Christ would practice. And we also know that wisdom is not something that someday you are all of a sudden, you filled up your quota on wisdom. It's not like, oh, well, Terry's this smart. She's getting smarter, getting smarter. Oh, she got to here. Now she's wise and she's all set. But wisdom, as we will see in what we're going to talk about for the rest of today, is that wisdom and knowing Christ is a lifelong journey. It is a path that we take, and it is a choice that we make to walk in a certain direction of desiring to know God more and more. And so what I want to talk about today is this idea of the journey of knowing Christ. Because like I said, if wisdom is truly knowing Christ, and wisdom is not something that you all of a sudden grasp, we have to learn that Pursuing Christ is the path of pursuing wisdom. It is not about attaining something, but it is about following a path. And I want to talk about two ways that we see this in this passage with Paul. The first one I want to talk about is the journey of knowing Christ and growing into our calling. If you see in chapter 1, verses 23 and 25, we see that Paul twice talks about this specific calling that he has. He says, This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And then in verse 25 he says, I have become its servant, the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So Paul clearly, you can almost imagine, he's writing this church that he's never met before. We know he did not found this church. And he's writing them and he's telling them, the reason I'm writing to you is because I have been called by God to proclaim this message to you. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the story very much, we know that Paul was Saul in his past. He was a God-fearer. And so we know that he was a wise person. He spent his life pursuing and following God, even to the point where he was willing to hunt down Christians when he thought that that was not the way God wanted it to go. And so he clearly prioritized God. And then one day God came and spoke to him and he said, you are passionately following me. You are fearing me. You are prioritizing. You are a wise person, Saul. But I need to reveal something to you. That the people that you're hunting down are actually my children. And I, you are going to become one of them. And not only that, I'm going to have you become someone who proclaims the gospel to the Gentiles. And I just think about when you're on the life journey, like Paul is, when all of us what Paul is praying for us is that we would grow and mature in wisdom. When we're on the path, there are going to be times where the calling that we feel from God may seem way out of left field. But if you're truly pursuing God, we always have to be prepared for Him to call you to something new. 
How many times have you heard a missionary tell a story where they say, when I was growing up, I said, I am not going to be a missionary. And here I am 30 years later. Or you hear preacher's wives say, I grew up and I was like, I'm not going to marry a preacher. And here I am married to... You, you hear that all the time. And I think about when we think of the word calling, we often think that it is about something... Well, I'm not sure what you think about when you hear the word calling. But if I were to say to you, what are you called to? We often think it has to do with what's I'm, what am I good at or what is it that I'm really passionate about. And what I want to encourage you, I, I, when I was a youth minister, one of the main things that teens would ask me, one of the number one things is, how do I discern God's will and calling in my life? Do you all ever remember being 17, 18 years old trying to decide what profession you're going to have? What is God calling me to? Is that a fair question? You've had that question before? And what I always tell them is this. When we speak about calling, we often think of a line that we're supposed to walk, a tightrope that we're supposed to walk of this is what God has for me. We think about a certain profession or a certain place that we're supposed to go. I feel called to this place. And what I say is a calling is much more about who God wants you to be rather than where God wants you to be. Does that make sense? When you feel called by God, He's calling you to be a person, no matter where that calling leads you. There's a quote by an author named Levi Lesko. He's a preacher. And he says, and I agree with him. Frankly, I think he stole it from me. He must have heard one of my youth group lessons. But he said, discerning God's calling is more a relationship than a route, more a journey than destination. It's about who you are becoming more than where you are going. And I love this idea that Paul is writing this church as someone who... He was not, he was going about his life and when God came and said, hey, I need you to take a hard right turn and change your life, actually probably a, a 180, and I need you to change your life, his response was not, well, God, you didn't call me to that. His response was, well, my calling is to be in relationship with you. My calling is to follow you. And so wherever the turns go, I'm prepared for it. And you can tell he's saying to this church, my prayer is for y'all to grow in your maturity and you know that all along that path and journey, he's going to be calling you to different things. But as long as you're staying in that relationship with God, you are staying within his calling. If that sounds complicated, it's because it sounds complicated to me too. So uh, let's talk about it more after the fact. And then the other thing that I think is more apparent in this passage is that for Paul, the journey of maturing and knowing Christ leads to mysteries all along the path. I love the idea that for Paul, God... Paul, who knew all these things, Paul knew his Old Testament Bible, the Hebrew Bible, better than any of us could if we started memorizing it right now. Does that make sense? He knew everything there was to know about God. And yet, even in his later years, God revealed new things to him. New things that Christ was the Messiah. New things that this Christ was actually going to live and dwell among Jews and Gentiles and that we would be a part of one body. And so if y'all would permit me, I would like to talk about a trip that this church took to Haiti and about Ernest Erickson. I think I have a picture of Ernest here. Ernest is the first person I've ever done a funeral for and the only person I've ever done a funeral for. And so in the preparation for his funeral, I remember asking people about him. The two most common things people talked about was how much he helped people and how much he knew God's word just by heart. And one of the, th one of the things that when I was preparing for this sermon, Something that kept coming to me over and over was the fact that when I was preparing for that funeral, different people I would talk to, you could hear in the background of stories this Haiti trip. It was like 
It was never the first thing anyone said. No one ever said, like, Drew, you got to talk about Haiti at his funeral. But they would talk about his desire to know God and desire to help, and then Haiti would kind of come up in the conversation. And so this week, I called people who were on that trip with him, and I talked with people who were on that trip with him. And I said, I've got a question for y'all. Ernest, in my opinion, was a person that, for all intents and purposes, if, this, if you asked anyone in this church who knew the Bible and who knew God better than anyone else, who would they have said? And you probably would have said Ernest Erickson, right? You probably would have said him. And I asked the people when I called them, I said, would you say it's fair to say that when Ernest went to Haiti, that he, who knew everything about God, Still, God revealed new things to him about who God was, about his kingdom, and about his calling in his life. And every one of them said, absolutely. Uh, Grace Hewlett said on the phone, of course he did. And, and we all did. We all learned something new about God's kingdom by serving the people there. And one of the stories, by the way, I'm, this is kind of off script, but uh, Steve mentioned that one time, at the end of the day, Ernest just was exhausted, completely spent from morning till evening serving people with their dentistry. They just didn't have dentists there in Haiti. They don't, these are people that he's, he's removing teeth for them. And Steve said he remembered seeing just anguish on his face because he couldn't finish this person uh, serving them. And he asked Steve, he said, Steve, would you pray for me so that I can have the strength to do this? And Steve prayed with him. And after a moment, Ernest was able to finish the task. And that reminds me of this part at the end of chapter one where Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul is saying, I'm working hard, but I know that I don't have it in me to do this, but I know that with Christ, I do have the power to do this. And that's what Ernest displayed in Haiti. And so the reason I want to use Ernest as an example is because of the calling and because of the knowing God. One thing that Grace said, and, I, and she's okay with me sharing this, is that Ernest lived his life serving people. And after he retired from dentistry, there was a part of him that felt like he maybe didn't have anything else to give. He didn't have anything else to serve. And that at Haiti, he felt a fulfillment of his calling, that this is what you have for me. This is what I was made for, to serve people. And you can imagine Paul in prison writing this gospel, where he's looking at how he's been beaten. He's looking at the message that he's proclaiming, and for him, he has pure joy in his sufferings because he knows this is what I was called to. This is what God has revealed to me that on my journey, this from, from Paul being a boy till now, he has been on a lifelong journey of knowing God and knowing Christ and that he is taking great joy in the fact that I am where God wants me to be, doing what God wants me to be, and that's what Ernest was in Haiti. And I also want to bring up Ernest as an analogy because we... No matter how much you think that knowing God is about having everything memorized and about having all the facts of all of Jacob's brothers memorized and having all of the 12 disciples memorized and being able to, to say, you know, no matter how much you think that that's what knowing God is about, even if you are like Ernest, spending your life pursuing knowing God, he will always find ways to reveal new truths to you, new things that you didn't expect about who he is and about where God is leading you, about what God's plan is for his world, for his church, all those things. Boy, I really went off script. And so here's what I want to do to wrap this up. I got going. It is possible to be a Christian and to be in Christ, but to be immature. We see it all the time. Not immature like you pick your nose. You know what I mean. Immature, like immature as a follower of God. 
Not understanding fully what it means to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. Not grasping the new possibilities and responsibilities set before us. I'm sure there are many of you like me who got baptized at age 11 and didn't quite know everything yet, right? But what we can be assured of is that when you choose to take on Christ in your life, you have everything you need for salvation through His Spirit living within you. But that does not mean that God is not going to begin a work in you, that He is going want to want you to pursue the rest of your life. When you choose to become a follower of Christ, God, God gives you all you need, but it is only the beginning of maturing. Christ is indeed the embodiment of divine wisdom. And the exploration of learning more about that wisdom and more about God is the task of a lifetime. It is necessary then, not for us just to preach the gospel and say, we got them under the waters, but to say, how are we helping to raise people and to mature and grow, knowing that growth is a lifelong journey of learning your calling, your calling being who you are as a person, and learning the mysteries that God's going to continually be revealing to us. And so what I want to encourage you is, remember I used the analogy about the strength with the doing push-ups and sit-ups? We often turn to, and I don't think this is a bad thing, but it's maybe not a healthy thing, where when we tell someone that they need to know and mature in Christ, the only place we ever turn to is we tell them, we'll just open this up and just start reading it. And one thing we have to remember about that is that when Paul said that to the church in Colossians, there was no New Testament yet. So there's no way that when he said, hey, you need to really know Christ better, so just start in Matthew. You know, there was no Matthew through Revelation when this letter was written. And so how could we possibly learn more about Christ without the New Testament? And here's the answer. How did you learn how to change a tire? You learned how to change a tire because maybe if you're like me, your dad took you outside and he showed you how to do it. How did you learn how to replace a battery in the car? If you're like me, it's because your dad took you outside and showed you how to do it. I remember on Saturdays, how do I know how to trim trees in my backyard? Because my dad would say, wake up, we're going to go trim the trees in the backyard. Wait, dad, I had to, uh, see you out there, right? And the way I learned was because I got to watch and follow him. And so the answer for us is, how do we learn and grow and mature? Yes, we have the blessing of having God's Word and learning in this way. But primarily, the way you learn is by following the footsteps of Jesus Christ, by seeing what He did and practicing it in your life. How do you learn patience? How do you learn forgiveness? How do you learn serving? You wash the, people, the feet of the people around you. Sam Wells is someone that I was talking to the other day about. He's just someone that will help you with anything. And how am I going to learn more about serving and helping people with anything? It's from watching people like him, seeing the way that he serves people. And so here's my last thing, and then I'm going to close. When you choose to engage and be baptized and join Christ in the journey that he has for you, you are never going to know so much that you know it all. You are never going to be like, oh, I'm wise, I, I got it, I'm set. But you have to... You have to admit to yourself and you have to believe fully that what you're beginning is a journey. Something that you're starting at one place and that through the Spirit and through Christ, you are committing to a lifelong partnership with Him of growing more and more into the person that He has for you to be. Christ living within you, the hope of glory. And if that is anything that you would like to learn more about, anything that you would like to be a part of, of growing more into that, what does this call of walking with Christ look like? What is this, what is this call of being someone that when I sit at a back porch and I can sit there and go, this is what I was made for. This is something God had intended for me. When you can, if you want a part of that, then I'd encourage you to come talk with someone. And if you have anything that you'd like to be, for us to be in prayer about, our elders will be at the exits as we stand and as we sing this song.